0: Welcome to the NCLA Podcast. I am your host, Rachel Mann, and you may remember from a few episodes ago when we had Dr. Kevin Fleming on the show that he talked about a program called Dreamcatcher and about the founder, Steve Ward. I was so interested in what he was talking about that even during the recording, I was already doing a search for and looking up more information. And we got, when we got done with the recording, I told uh, Kevin, "Hey, you've got to connect me with this person. I think this is something that our NCLA audience and administrators can really benefit from." So he put me in touch with Steve Ward, and we've had a few amazing conversations over the last few weeks. And I'm so excited to have him here on the podcast today. He is the Chief Strategy Officer. The founder, president, and chairman of the board, speaker and change maker for Dreamcatcher. And I love his tagline on LinkedIn, which is helping others find their life purpose. So welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today, Steve.
1: Hey, thank you, Rachel. I appreciate being here today.
0: I would love for you just to share with the audience some about yourself, your journey, and what motivated you to create this program, Dreamcatcher?
1: Thank you for that, that wonderful question. I always have to, to think about timing uh, when I'm given the answer. I want to give you guys the, the short version of this. Um, Dreamcatcher was created on two different premises. Uh, one was from my personal experience of being what I call a a child left behind. I had that term before it was ever a thing with President Bush, but what that simply means is I grew up as a as a, a student, starting off in Compton, California, um, where my educational career began. Uh, always in the back of the classroom, because teachers always say, you know, you don't you, you don't learn like everybody else. You're not able to pick up things like everybody else, and this. Um, narrative was repeated year after year after year when I'm doing parent conferences and sitting next to my mom while my teacher is constantly, you know, telling her what I cannot do, what I am not doing, what everybody else is doing and where I am. It got so bad to the point to where um, several years into elementary school. Um, they were repeating to my mom how many <laughs> years he should be held back because just how far he was behind. And year after year, they just kept passing me to the next grade, passing me to the next grade. And so um, as many of you guys could imagine, you know, the mental effects on a, on a young person who's being told what they cannot do, how far they are behind, you know, that, that trauma, that despair, Everything that we talk about today in mental health, I was experiencing back then with uh, feeling like I wasn't valued, like I didn't have value. Everybody in education made me feel as if you didn't learn like everybody else, you wouldn't be successful in life. And so it left me in this place of always thinking, what is my place on this earth? And am I just wasting space? Um, It was a very lonely place to be all throughout. And up until when I was in high school, when everything finally came to a head, And and mind you, I love education. I've always loved education. I wasn't a class clown. I wasn't that child who was um, so disengaged. He he was being distracting and disruptive. I really wanted to learn. And I remember it was in high school, pre-algebra, and I had drawn this line in the sand and said, okay, I failed all these other tests, but I'm going to pass this one right here. And I remember having... um, Tutors, I remember working my, my tail off, you know, studying. I had always studied hard, but this time I put in that extra effort um, to try to get it. And I remember um, being confident after taking that test. And as soon as it was time to pull, uh, turn it in, I, you know, asked the teacher, you know, can you please get this back to me as soon as possible? I really think that I did well on it. And I remember a, a week went by, and then two weeks went by, and then finally on a Friday, and I was a football player, so it was football Friday. Had on my jersey, uh, but I was again in the back of the classroom, closest to the door. And I remember at the end of that period, the teacher, you know, walking down the aisles, you know, handing out the the the, the tests and turning the tests upside down, and so. I watched everybody, you know look at their looked at their face when they got their grades back, and I was excited. He came, finally came to me. and I'm expecting him to smile. I'm expecting some interaction. but he put my my tests on the desk upside down, and he kept on walking. And I remember thinking, you know that's kind of odd for someone who should be proud of me or happy. You know, because how excited I was about what I thought I did on this test to just keep walking. So I turned the test over, and there was a big fat D. And I couldn't help but to to you know put my head down on the desk. I was crying. The bell shortly rang after I was first one out. I found myself in the quad, and uh, I was. You know, pretty much cursing out God, like, "Why you make me stupid? How come everyone else can can not have to try so hard? They can be up all night playing video games and things, and I put everything I have into trying to pass this test and being a good student, and this is how I'm repaid. God, why did you create me this way?" And I remember doing that over and over for the course of about five minutes, and then after I got it all out, it was probably another five minutes later. When I was just quiet for a little while and I heard this little voice kind of repeat back to me, just all this is for a reason, you know, you're not the only one that learns this way, you know, and then shortly after I start seeing these visions of, you know, something that I would be able to create one day that would actually help students that were in the batch learning the course. You know, I didn't hear the word batch learning in that little communication at that time. But, you know, uh, you'll create something that's going to help other people who learn like you and who are also trying to figure out, you know, how to best, um, you know, fit into education. And I started seeing these visions and things. And that's when Dreamcatcher was born. And this was as early as 13 years old. I started writing down what it would look like uh, almost 30 years later. And so that was one facet of why it was created. The other facet was um, I was a fireman for nearly uh, 20 years, and and one of the things that really made it more apparent, not only just my own experience, but what I was experiencing out in the field, is that the mental health had like exponentially grown out of control during the time I was in the fire service. Seeing kids um, and young people and people in general committing suicide and and um, Uh, Going through depression bouts and we were taking people like in record numbers, one out of every three calls seemed to be someone that were taken to the mental hospitals. And I had the luxury of being in the back of the ambulance multiple times with so many people and hearing You know their stories and asking being able to ask questions how come you know you're trying to kill yourself how come you feel this way about yourself and you know in every in every scenario just about it was always you know feeling like well i don't feel like i belong on this planet i don't feel like i have value i don't feel like i have a purpose i don't feel like no one cares or loves me and things and so uh sitting back there in the back of the ambulance and all these different calls and really understanding that i have something to give Um, people that is, should be on a preventative side and not just on the reactionary side that I needed to create this program and do it as soon as possible and invest all my money that I possibly can into helping people, you know, like myself discover that they have value, that they have purpose, that they are valued, that they have something to give and that they should be thinking about, um, you know, what they, what they can do tangibly, to give to the world as a value instead of just thinking about how well they're doing in academics and getting good grades and trying to get a piece of paper that may not ever fulfill what it is that they should be doing with their life. And so I was inspired by my own situation and also by others um, later on, you know, nearly almost 20 years later and being in the business and seeing so much of the depression and despair and the suicides that I felt like it was time to make a move and, and actually, um, to see if I can make a difference. And Dreamcatcher was the, the, the way that we have been doing it for the last five years.
0: Steve, that is an incredible story. That's so inspiring to hear how you took something that was traumatic, that was causing despair in your own life and then that ability to recognize it in other people in your firefighting career and then to create something like this and i and i absolutely love that it's something that you that you conceived of the idea the inception of it was when you were 13 years old because that's when when it hit home with you that there was something that you could do to make sure that no one else is experiencing education in the same way that that you had to experience education
1: absolutely it was so important because um you know one of the things in in hearing that voice back was um the simple fact that i wasn't alone and that there was other people who felt like i felt but yet you know no one was communicating that they actually felt that way and so i i realized that i had to experience this for myself and also see a solution in my mind um, and also get that confidence that you know if it's just even one person that we can help, that I can help, it would be worth it. And come to find out that, you know, there's millions of people across the nation and the world who feels like they don't have value, um, like they don't have anything to give. They don't have any real reason to live other than to appease other people doing things that they don't really want to do or understand, you know, what they're supposed to do. And that's, education. There's nothing bridging that gap between academic achievement and real-world success.
0: Well, and as you're telling the story about asking the teacher, has the test been graded? And you're so excited because you thought you had an A and that you had done such a great job on the test. I can't help but connect with the teacher and think about when I was a teacher, like times when you're just so overwhelmed, just trying to keep up with everything and getting behind on grading, getting behind on getting things back to students. But also how easy it is when you're in that mindset as a teacher of being overwhelmed with your own purpose and trying to meet the needs, it's easy for a student to fall through the crack and for the teacher not to see that stress, that turmoil, what that student is experiencing. So creating something like this is not only beneficial for those students, but it's also helping the educators as well.
1: Yes. You know, no one has ever said what you just said to me before. And let me tell you why that's important, because that's why I think that what we're doing is, is, is less of an idea of what we think we could have done and more of a divinely inspired. Because as a student, I was able to see things almost as an outer body experience, um, being able to see that the teacher was, was just doing nearly what they were supposed to do and mandated to do. So I never took it personal that I was in the back of the classroom. I never took it personal what they were saying. And I and I still don't think that it was a negative thing that they were articulating to my parents and also to myself, you know, uh, where my shortcomings was. Because they had a job to do that was, you know, um, ordained by, <laughs> let's not say a higher power, but just the system itself of, you know, we have to get, you know, this percentage of students through and the others maybe they are do the best they can, but we got to keep on, you know, passing them through. Um, and it, and it felt that way and it looked that way. And so I, and I could see the stress on teacher's face, uh, as if it, every time I would raise my hand, but I was that kid who raised my hand all the time and asked millions of questions. And that got annoying because they weren't stupid questions, but they was just distracting questions to, to, to slow things down, you know, distracting in a way that was slowing things down rather than being disruptive. And it was like, ah, uh, Yes, Steve. Okay, here let, let's talk about this after. I'll help you, and we'll pull. I'll pull you to the side, and and we'll go over this. But right now, we don't have time for me to explain every little detail to you. I had that all the time. I was that student for sure, you know. But I could see the stress on their face, and so to your point, um, and like I said, no one's ever said that because that's a unique perspective. Um, and they and I want everyone to know that for me, I never thought it was a negative thing what I was experiencing um, from the, the the teacher's perspective. I can actually see that perspective and I can appreciate it. And that was one of the things that was important for, for us with Dreamcatcher to help um, make sure that teachers knew their students better by understanding what those students thought their purpose was and what career paths they would actually choose in the future to be able to help give teachers ability to connect with them on a deeper level. And maybe when it comes to teaching, have that in mind when they're talking to their students. So they're always being able to reinforce what that student is trying to connect to career pathwise down the road and not just what uh, the teacher is mandated to teach, you know, as a kind of a, um, a catch-all, you know, type of format.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I think too, it's just that, needing a system change, the education, even when we were young, when we were in school, these things that were hurtful that stick with you throughout life. But again, it wasn't even recognized. No one, first of all, no one talked about mental health back then or even acknowledged it. It was just, uh, you know, toughen up <laughs> yes. Get your together. And it wasn't that sense of having that individualized education where each person matters, each person is recognized for their unique abilities and skills sets, which aren't going to be the same as the person next to them and doesn't always mean like the bookwork and the tests in front of you, which which again, that individualized piece is what your program's all about. But I don't want to give too much of that away because the folks listening in are still uh, learning all about this amazing program. Um, but I want to dive into something that that you talk about. You say w- that a pathway starts with purpose. So what does it mean to say pathways start with purpose? And whose purpose are we talking about?
1: Awesome. Awesome question. So currently right now, and I think that everybody probably would agree, at least it's been almost 100% <laughs> in agreement that we've, in education in America, I speak just for America, is that we've put millions and millions of dollars into Internship programs into STEM education into a number of other different programs and technology and equipment and we've we've brought all that stuff to our institutions and put it in front of our youth and say okay start using this stuff and therefore you should you know find a career path you know uh, from these this exposure that we're putting you in. And just about in almost every scenario I found, and when you get the chance to talk to an administrator, you know, and, uh, I remember even specific one time being at a conference and this, uh, group, it was a, um, it was a college and career readiness type of, uh, format. And this, this school was talking about how wonderful their engineering program that they, they have, and they, they brought it to their school and, it, and, and everything has been working out really, really great. And they were so excited about talking about their their program. And then one of the participants raised their hand and said, so can you tell us how many students have you actually had go through that program and what has the success been? And then all of a sudden you saw the excitement in the presenters go away. They wasn't anticipating someone asking them exactly how many students have you had going through. They was more excited to talk about what they were doing and the million dollar grant that they got to buy it and the, the community partners they had that were supporting it. But they was not happy to start reporting that they only had out of, you know, a school of 2000 students. They had about 10 to 15 and maybe 20 people that actually went through that program. And that has been the case in education for so long, whereas we kind of put the cart before the horse where we're we're trying to spend so much money and giving exploratory opportunities. But we're not putting any, you know, time and effort and tools towards marketing to what I like to call not students, but your customer. Your, your students are the customer. And just like in, in business, we should be marketing to the students. And, and by marketing, I mean you have to know who they are, know who what the, who the audience is. What do they, what do they want, what do they think about themselves, what do they feel themselves being in five or ten years, you know, rather than just you know putting something in front of them and telling them to do this and then just think because you spent a lot of money or time into something that is going to be successful. So when we're talking about what does it mean to, to think of purpose as a means of finding a pathway, we're talking about, you know, changing the narrative and the mindset of what we're currently doing to now focus, helping the students critically think and focus on who they are, what their purpose is. How does that purpose translate into tangible value? And how can that value be used in terms of pathways? because purpose is an ambiguous uh, thing it's not specific it's basically you know the makeup of who a person is and then through that makeup they will find where that's best fitted for a career pathway but if you're not starting at trying to help students understand who they are first and then directing their path and giving them exploratory opportunities we'll continue to have what we're having today where we're spending a lot of uh, time and money And spinning our wheels and still not having a lot of success with the outcomes, regardless of, you know, the opportunities that we're providing.
0: And thinking of our students as the customer, that's just that's so important because I think that that it changes the perception of how they're treated, but also on how they see themselves. You know, it, it adds value for them as well
1: it's no different than being in business, you know, and you're a grocery store. And when you see the ads or the paper that's coming to your house and things, it's a lot of times based on the demographic, you know, an environment where that store is located and who they're trying to reach. And and it shouldn't be any different than, you know, um, how we, we communicate with our students and how we reach them. You know, to your point, your, to the question rather, you asked, you know, whose purpose are we talking about? I think it's obvious that the focus here is on, you know, the student and their purpose. But on a bigger scale, we should also be thinking about what is the purpose of the institution that is providing the opportunities and the education and the other things that's being provided. I see a lot of times that in the institutions themselves, there's not a clear vision, mission and purpose on what they're trying to accomplish. And therefore there's not a clear outcome of the type of, um, of success they're trying to have with the individualized students. And that is a fundamental problem when when it comes to trying to implement a program if you don't have an understanding of what you think your outcome should be and what does it look like to be successful with your student. We are trying to help institutions uh, be able to understand what that actually looks like by helping them first understand what their students want. And then being able to give them information that now they can use to, to take and say, okay, because of what the students are saying that they are interested in and what they want to do by the percentages, now I think we should spend our money, okay, in medicine or engineering or STEM because that is what we're hearing our customers are saying they want. And now we can now start, you know, determining what our level of success is gonna be as an organization because we have a good grasp on what our customer is looking for that makes for a great low hanging fruit. So if they're telling you, now your customer is telling you what they want. Now you just backfill that with what, you know, is going to support that. And that's when being a teacher really becomes fun because now I'm actually helping people get where they know that they want to go, but I have the means of helping them get there. And then that's when you have a cohesive, you know, team working for a common goal and that, that team being your customer and your organization and everybody who's in that stakeholder role.
0: Well, Steve, I do not remember as a young person ever being asked to, to think about my purpose in life. Um, but you know, it's, it's a paradigm shift and I think it's an important. Shift. So, why is it important for someone to find that purpose? Why is that so crucial to finding their career path?
1: Well, it's the beginning of everything. It's crucial to to find you you know your purpose. And I think this is a simple question that all of us you know have either asked or should be asking about ourselves when we look at ourselves in the morning, you know, and we're trying to figure out you know if we are who we're supposed to be and if we're accomplishing what we're supposed to be accomplishing. You know, that term um, failure to launch. Is is word I don't or term I don't hear very often, but I think that it's it, it's something that's very commonplace. We have so many people who are failing to launch into their careers and launch into life. This is not my own saying this. I, I had this theory about twenty years ago that people grow up a lot slower in life, and the reason why I believe that to be being so close to youth and doing what I've been doing, and also building other uh, ed tech companies. And being a mentor and all these different things, it was be, it was real obvious that people were growing up a lot slower than they used to. Whereas 18, you were almost out of the house and you're flying, you know, on your own and you're expected to be successful regardless of what that means. We don't have that anymore. And the reason why that is, is because people are not really understanding what their value is and they're not pushed to, to understand you know, uh, what, the, what, what the meaning of their existence is. And it's not a religious thing. It's not a philo- philosophical thing. Matter of fact, when, we, when we're talking about purpose, we break it down in three verbs. What does a person have to give, either show, or connecting with others in love in return for what they want out of life? And everyone resonates with either having something to give or having a personality trait or something to show or being able to connect with others or a combination of all of these. But if they do it with love at the center and that center part of it, that love is translated into uh, giving value and feeling value, now all of a sudden you have a life. And that's why it's so crucial, because you have to be able to answer some of those existential questions early on in order to be able to move forward. And so it's almost impossible, in, in, our, in my opinion, from what I've seen in today's time and with technology the way it is. And, you know, honestly, careers are moving so quickly. People are going to have six and seven careers before, you know, they they are ready to retire So we have to be able to help people understand, okay, if that's going to be the case, I got to know when to jump from this branch to that branch, that lily pad to that lily pad. And I do it with a general understanding of what my purpose is, not so much of what the career path is, but what my purpose is. So when people have the essence understood of who they are, that's why it's crucial, then they can jump from any branch that it takes because maybe I am a school teacher today But that is not my purpose. But my purpose is to generally teach. And so whether it is in a school setting or maybe be a trainer for a different company, I'm still teaching. That's the essence of who I am. And I could take that my purpose because I'm good at connecting with people and good at teaching. I can take that skill set and use it anywhere. So when you answer that question first, Everything else will fit into its proper place.
0: Well, and it's it's really good for everyone, too, when you think about how many young people feel lost when they leave high school. And I, I have parents come to me sometimes looking for advice because they know that I work in the field of education and specifically in career technical education. And sometimes it's just frustration that they're looking for a place to vent about how their kid is 22 years old. They started college here, dropped out, started college at another place the next semester, dropped out. Now they've gotten their life insurance license. They didn't like that, you know. It's just this whole career hobby. And if they had found that purpose in a younger age, like you said, it could. It doesn't mean that that's going to be their career path forever. But it's putting them in the right direction that's going to open up other opportunities and give them the skill sets that they need for what they're good at, where where their passion lies.
1: You you just said a mouthful because, you know, I I call it the uh, it's a proverbial chains that's on our on our wrists that are invisible. And what I mean by that is we're still teaching in education and in society that, you know, you need to find that home run hit, you know, meaning you're going to that career that you're going to get in for the next 30 years and so we, we really do um, tight casts. We do um, hold people back mentally uh, from really being able to get out there and start e- exploring. And I, I mean, exploring in this context, once they have their purpose, being able to explore where to use that purpose to best suit whatever fulfilling the necessities that they need. You know, we're talking about high, uh, Maslow hierarchy of needs at this point. You know, now that I understand my purpose, now I can start focusing on other things. What do I need to survive right now? And this is all done in the context of understanding that my purpose may change over time or how I use my purpose may change over time, but I'm no longer, you know, um, with the chains of trying to find a job that I'm going to be retiring from in the next 30 years. So now I have more pressure and stress to try to get this right the first time. This is no longer an, an applicable way or applicable may not be the right word, but appropriate way to, to to live out my existence on this planet because things are just moving too quickly for me to, 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 to hit that kind of home run right off the bat. So let me take the chains off and let me think about, you know, what are my needs right now? What is my purpose right now? How can I fill my needs with what my purpose is right now? So I don't ever talk about anything or or give information on what people should do unless I've done it myself. And so here's a short example. So I got hired as a fireman at the age of 20 because my purpose has always been to to help save lives, help people in in dire needs. And so I've always found myself as a leader. That was one of the the, the key traits that I had, even when I was struggling in education. When I played football, leadership had always been a place where I always found myself to be in and leading other people and helping other people maximize their time with wherever and whatever we were doing. And so that has followed me. And so it followed me into choosing a career in the fire service. And so my purpose had had become helping people in dire needs be able to have positive outcomes to bad situations and ultimately saving lives. Well, when it was time for me to retire in 2015 at the age of 35, you know, I, I for many people, it was too big of a jump in their mind to see me go from uh, running and burning buildings to building software CEO at the time of a company building educational software and being an educator, you know, that just didn't translate from a firefighter all the way up to what I was doing at that time. But I had to help people understand that it was never about fighting fires. I never considered myself to be a firefighter. I always uh, figured myself to be someone who was just there to help and save lives. And guess what? That same philosophy of what I use to be a firefighter is the same philosophy and the same core values and the same purpose that I use right now to save lives in this regard. So what am I saying? I'm saying that it doesn't matter what it is that you're doing as a way of using your purpose. What matters is that you understand who you are and what your purpose is and how to translate that into whatever need that needs to be filled. And so, to all of those those people that we're talking about right now, that is looking in the mirror and trying to figure out, you know, you know, what am I supposed to do for myself, and where am I supposed to be going, and what am I supposed to be accomplishing? You know, you got to take the chains off. You got to start off with, no, where am I at today, and what is my purpose right now, and who needs me, and where can I apply that in a situation where it's going to give me what I need as well.
0: There is so much goodness in what you just said, and I especially love the uh, when you said, "I never saw myself as a firefighter." and just how that saving lives translates into every area of your purpose and what you're called here to do.
1: Absolutely. You know, I won't go too too much further with that story than this, but just to that point, to illustrate it and bring it home even further is, you know, a lot of times you're able to identify firefighters on the freeway, on the streets, because normally they would have a fire sticker on the back of their truck, or a license plate that says something like four day firefighter, which means how many days they work, you know, in a week, um, a lot of different things that signifies that, hey, this is what I do. This is who I am. I never had any stickers on the back of my truck and I never had any license plate. And one of my co-workers one time, his wife, uh, she confronted me about it. She says, uh, Steve, and I was a younger fireman at the time, she says, I noticed that you don't have a fire sticker on the back of your your your, your truck. How come that is? And then she she start making assumptions. She says, "Is it because you don't want to stop to help people um, when they have an accident, or if you're somewhere and someone is looking for a firefighter, you don't want to be identified? Is that what it is? What, what's the what's the problem there?" And I said, "You know, first I was kind of deterred by." her assumptions. But I said it to her straight, like I just said it now. And I said, you know, I never vision myself as being a, a firefighter, being who I am is simply what I do. And I don't want to have myself on a pedestal and, you know, um, talking about something that I, that I nearly just do and not is out in the public and bringing attention to myself. I said, because it, although I'm proud to be a firefighter, it's just simply what I do. I don't see people who are plumbers or teachers rolling around with stickers on the back of their, their cars saying I'm a teacher or I'm a plumber, you know, and they're just as proud of their career and what they provide the community as I am. So I don't feel like I need to have any special attention. It's just merely how I'm living my purpose right now. And she didn't have an answer for that. So, you know, that, that that's how deep this runs with me.
0: <laughs> well, and that's, that's a valid response. I ha- hadn't even thought about that, but you're right. It's not, there's nothing on my car indicating what my career path is. So I, not that one way is right or wrong, as long as you know why you do what you do, which you obviously were able to give her a sound answer for that.
1: <laughs> right.
0: And the and reminder to, uh, you know, what happens when we make assumptions, right?
1: <laughs> hey, you, you do not make assumptions and fire service. If you made assumptions, it could mean your life.
0: Well, and and uh, by the way, I, I have to mention I'm glad that you uh, that you're talking a little bit about your firefighting career because I know that's going to resonate with some of our audience because that is just such a popular program in career technical education. And let me tell you, the students that are in those those at the fire science programs they wear those uniforms with such pride and they just have so much excitement and they get out of bed each morning, just excited to get to that program. So it's uh, definitely something that's uh, helping them to find their purpose.
1: Absolutely.